If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm Scott Dworkin. Today I have part two of my interview with Ashton Taylor, who spent a lot of her time on the border giving medical treatment to refugees who need it. If you haven't listened to the first part of the interview, I recommend you go back and do that. Yesterday we covered the fact that ICE was threatening refugees. If they complained about medical treatment, they would never see their kids again. Now we talk about the brutal conditions, the physical and mental torture that they go through on a daily basis. Here's part two of my interview with Ashton Taylor. When I said prisoners, you know, I think I think prisoners in our U.S. justice system are treated with with more dignity and respect than this, and certainly certainly better health care, certainly better medical attention. Um, you know, in, in addition to these ankle monitors and to the viral infections that I saw, pretty much everybody that walked in those doors had a fever. Everybody was dehydrated, and they you know they told me when they were in when they were in either the the detention facility itself or the cold rooms, the yeleros that they call them, they were given maybe um, like a, like a b- bottle of water a day and a bag of chips and an apple or a tortilla in the morning and one at night. I mean, it was just, it was flabbergasting to, to kind of hear that they're not being fed. They're not being given water. Um, they're not, being given access to uh, sanitary facilities. That was the other huge thing is that when the doors open and the people walk in the room, it, it hits you in the back of the throat. I mean, and you can, you can taste it, you can smell it, your eyes water. I mean, these people haven't been allowed to bathe for days, if not weeks on end. And that's including the infants and children um, that particularly I mean, that's that's not something that leaves you like the the smell of essentially unwashed people um, who are sick is permanently, permanently etched into my mind. But um, just things that were communicable and easily preventable were absolutely rampant. So um, in addition to, you know, itching skin sores and welts and viral infections, cough, cold, flu, um, bugs. Bugs are something that I would like to like to bring up as um, one of the things that I saw, uh, particularly lice, head lice and body lice. Um, and that, you know, I remember I kind of I put on a, a new pair of gloves and I got, um, you know, one of those little depressor sticks to kind of look in a child's scalp and the child hadn't been bathed yet. And I said, you know, I asked mom, how long has it been since you were able to shower? She told me 11 days. Um 11 days to, to not have a shower for her or her child. Uh, she said that the women who were menstruating at the time were given sanitary pads, but not allowed to shower. And 
that right there as as a person, as a woman, was just shocking and horrifying because of the implications that, you know, if you if you can't bathe, uh, UTI, bladder infection, any, you know, any kind of nasty infection can happen to you if you are not allowed to bathe yourself. Any kind of, you know, maybe toxic shock syndrome. I mean, there are so many things that can happen when you don't have access to basic sanitation. And I was, I was looking in her child's scalp. Obviously, when I saw movement, you know, a little taken aback, but the bugs in her child's scalp were making tracks in the grease that had accumulated on his head. I mean, it was, you could see the dirt that had manifested and you could see the bugs that were crawling around in that dirt. And it was one of those moments where I just, I kind of, you know, had to turn away and clear my throat a little bit. And it wasn't this child's fault and it wasn't this mother's fault. And to have, you know, a mother sitting there and all you can do is tell her, this is not your fault. This, and I, I, you can't say this is something that happens. You can't say, well, this happens when you're in close quarters because it do, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. You don't get to turn to somebody who has a sick child who is, you know, infested with a, a body a scalp parasite, essentially, and say that this is something that happens. It's outrageous, um, you know, to to see babies and children in addition to adults with accumulated dirt on them such that they are, you know, they are good, uh, they're good hosts for, for any number of, of bugs and parasites. I mean, it, that was the imagery of that and seeing, seeing the bugs in, in these children's hair was, um, it was quite frankly, a disturbing it was very disturbing. Yeah, you, you mentioned something called uh, cold rooms. Can you explain yes. to the listeners what, what what those are? Sure. So I um, I obviously haven't been into the facility myself, and I can't testify as to personally having seen them. But based on the accounts of everybody whom I talked to at the clinic, I asked them, you know, where were you? How long were you there? Do you know? Um, what facility you were at, and they all told me a commonality, which were these cold rooms. So the whole the whole warehouse, to my understanding, is cold, and I understand that, especially for people coming from a warmer climate who may have crossed deserts. The facility is obviously going to be shockingly cold, but more than that, there are separate rooms that they told me about, separate rooms that are colder, the yeleros, which are the cold boxes, basically, and I said, why why did they put some of you in these rooms? And they told me they took the sick ones. They took the sick people and put them in these rooms separate, I guess, as a, as a quarantine. They told me it was to kill the germs, was what they were told by CBP officials. And I, I don't understand that. I don't see any scientific basis for that. I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not a medical professional, but I think even you know, a lay person knows when you're cold and you're run down, you can't fight off infection as well as you could. So I'm not, I'm absolutely unsure as to why they would be put in these cold rooms for, for quarantine, for germs, because to my knowledge, that isn't a medical practice that happens. Um, you don't put people in concrete rooms to, to kill germs and turn down the thermostat. That's not, um, that's, I, I, I can only honestly imagine what what it's like but i you know i have vivid descriptions of the concrete walls and floors and ceiling and they 
they all have that same thread that, you know, if my child was sick, they had to go to the cold room. If I was sick, I had to go to the cold room. This episode of the Twerking Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit dwarkingreport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Molly Redden reported a story entitled, Why Are Immigration Detention Facilities So Cold? for Mother Jones in 2014 about one particular grievance, which refugees and detained undocumented immigrants in the American West have fought in federal court multiple times. Redden revealed the U.S. Custom and Border Protection detainees have the same complaints ICE detainees have today. In 2011, an advocacy group called No More Deaths took an anonymous survey of almost 13,000 former Customs and Border Protection detainees and found that 3,000 respondents had weathered extreme cold. By early 2013, three undocumented immigrants sued CBP for abuse they suffered while spending days in custody, claiming that CBP agents refused to give them soap or toothbrushes. Sometimes, agents refused to feed them more than once a day. But the women's biggest grievance by far was the unrelenting cold. Her lips eventually chapped and split, read one woman's lawsuit. The lips and fingers of her two sisters and her sister's child also turned blue. Because of the cold, she and her sisters and her sister's child would huddle together on the floor for warmth. There were no mattresses or blankets. In June 2014, Alba Quinones Flores sued the agency after agents failed to treat her broken ankle and threw away her diabetes medication. CBP guards, she claims, made Quinones and her cellmates beg for more toilet paper when they ran out. All of this happened, she says, in a holding facility kept freezing cold. The cell was so cold, her lawsuit says, that Miss Quinones Flores' fingers turned blue and her lips split. CBP refuses to acknowledge that its detention facilities are consistently cold. Instead, the agency told the LA Times that cells are kept at about 70 degrees, and it denies that its agents use the term Hialera. We have heard those reports before, and you have to understand, when these folks come in from the desert, they're hot. A spokesman with U.S. Customs and Border Protection Rio Grande Valley Sector told Mother Jones Molly Redden, They're sweating. We're not going to adjust that temperature for a new group. It would work the system too hard. You can follow her on Twitter at mtredden, R-E-D-D-E-N. Redden also reported from Mother Jones that those detainees had yet another theory about the Hyaluras. The cold is part punishment, part deterrent. A Fronteras desk reporter spoke with an 18-year-old migrant who was detained by CBP along with his younger brother. When the boys complained of the cold, the young man recalls the guard sneering that maybe we would think about it two times before trying to cross again. Here is the final part of my interview with Ashton Taylor about ICE's Ursula Detention Center in McAllen, Texas. You know, when you when you saw some of these people, and this is just a curiosity question, did you ever see any evidence that they were uh, abused or assaulted? As far as abuse and assault, physically, I didn't see evidence that they had been, you know, punched, kicked, hurt. You know, any anything of the like. And I did try to avoid asking questions like that just because of the level of trauma that I was already seeing. I didn't want to, you know, bring up any anything like that. Um, I know that a couple of the parents told me that their children weren't allowed to sleep. 
And I asked them, you know, can you tell me about that? And they said when they were sleeping on the floors, on the concrete floors, um, some of the, the ice guards would kick their feet and make them wake up. And I asked them, you know, why, why would they do that? And they said, they don't know. Um, the, they were, you know, they were being kicked, they were being pushed awake and saying, Hey, wake up. And, you know, to me, to me, that's abusive. So I, I don't, I didn't see or hear any evidence of, you know, anybody being outright struck or hit or, you know, assaulted in some other manner. But, um, you know, I can't, I can't rule it out as a possibility because we don't know what's going on in the facilities. And that's what I, I really can't stress enough is that for all we know, any number of things could be happening in there because what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing from CBP officials is that they're being adequately nourished and they have adequate sanitation and that they're being taken care of. But what I'm seeing when they walk through these clinic doors are people who are sick, they're traumatized, they're run down. So everything that I'm seeing contraindicates what CBP has put out as a statement to their quality of care. So the, the bottom line is we don't know. We don't know what's going on in those facilities because there's no transparency. There's no outside involvement. There are no outside eyes that are allowed to, to really come in and assess what's going on. So for all we know, any number, any number of untold horrors could be going on in there. And for all we know, it could be, it could be civil and normal and humane. But what I'm seeing does not indicate civil and normal and humane. Is it is it normal? I guess one of the things that I, I noticed from pictures and, and things like that is they seem to be housed in, you know, bas basically like a cage like atmosphere and, uh, you know, on mats that have tin foil kind of the foil blankets. And th it, it seemed like they were next to the porta potties that they would use as restrooms. That doesn't seem like it's the best uh, kind of uh, uh, position for. Uh, it to be sanitary in the same room that they're living in to right. have a porta potty that seems like it could cause disease. I, I'm not sure if, if that's possible, but I, I mean, I can't speak to that having not been in there. But if that if that presence and that location is is accurate, I, I think it's no, it's absolutely abnormal. That's not normal at all. These are you know, and that's the one sanitation facility that they have access to. It's not normal. And beyond being abnormal, it's cruel. It's inhumane. And to have, you know, to be in such close quarters like that, and whether it's next to a waste receptacle and, you know, they have to eat in the same place and they have to sleep in the same place and they're not being allowed to bathe. I mean, this is this is beyond the pale for for just gross mistreatment. I mean, it's, it's gross mistreatment of, of people. And you, you have to lack a certain amount of humanity to walk into that facility. If you, if you're any kind of supervisor or authority and look at the layout of things and look at the people in there and say, yeah, this is acceptable. You have to lack a certain, a certain empathy to the human condition to think that it is any semblance of normal to force people in these kinds of conditions. Did you see anything, and I'm sure you did, but can you describe something that you saw that gave you hope or inspiration from, from everything? Or I mean, it's a harrowing account, obviously, but were there anything that you saw from them where you're like, I can't believe that they still have this like positivity or are they just beaten down to the fact that they just are giving up because it's kind of like they don't know they don't know what to do next? 
so many were were beaten down and that that is true and i did see i mean especially when when children are ill emotions run very very high and that's that was something that we we certainly saw as a component to this trauma but what staggered me was the gratitude and the kindness that these people still showed and had the capacity for after going through so much and being so mistreated. There was a man who had traveled thousands of miles from Guatemala. He had one leg and he needed a new set of crutches. And thank God we had, you know, a new set of crutches in the clinic. But it, And he was grateful. You know, he was grateful when we, we changed the pad on his crutch to a new one. And I've never been so, I've never been so ashamed in my life just on behalf of my country, but I've also never been so inspired that this was a man who had traveled thousands of miles with, you know, a physical handicap. And then after being pushed through all of this, expressed gratitude for us for just the most simple of the most simple of acts. And that was, I mean, there, there's just a sense of, of shame that I feel and a sense of hope at the resilience of these people. But if anybody deserves asylum and deserves humane treatment, it is these people because of the, the absolute fortitude that they've shown. I can't thank you enough for, for what you're doing because it takes a lot of strength to uh, speak out about this. And I know I, I did not know a lot about what's going on and i i think your your stories uh, help because they're so descriptive uh, to the point that they can't be made up like they can't and the the level of uh, abuse in regards to one of the tactics that uh, people use if they're if they're abusing kids is to keep them awake so they're weaker so they're not screaming as much so they're not so they're tired and broken down and they don't complain they don't fight with each other they're less of a, a risk to be around per se um, so they're not children they're just you know drones and they kind of get beaten down to that fact it, it really is um, it's really important what you're doing and I want you to just know that there's millions of people who support what you're doing a majority of Americans uh, uh, support what you're doing especially in getting the story out because they don't know people don't know how how bad this actually is and how brutal this is for these families so i can't thank you enough for you know your patriotism and everything that you've done for this country just just in this uh, simple act and stepping up because that's what i hope that this inspires and i think it will uh, inspire other people to do the same because that is what we're we're based on is picking up the phone or showing up and then seeing what you can do to help that's what america was built upon not you know, on detaining people and separating their families and, um, you know, acts of, of uh, crimes against humanity, basically. Um, you know, and that's, it, it's something where I think uh, this will open a lot of eyes. So I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your stories. And and one last question for you. Um, if you had a, a message for uh, Donald Trump um, in regards to this crisis, like let's say that he were listening, we're in big trouble if he is wasting time <laughs> listening to me. And you, but uh, if if you were listening, you know, what would you tell him about, um, you know, things that could change, or what would you say say to him? I would say to him, I need you to look, I need you to listen, and I need you to feel, because these these people are human beings, and 
They deserve ethical treatment and dignity, just like every American here that was born on American soil and every American that immigrated to this country. Thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you. The totality of these reports is an indictment of ICE's Enforcement and Removal Division, whose politically driven mission has caused the 19 top special agents in charge of ICE's Homeland Security Investigations Division, who actually fight real criminals, Russian mafias and drug cartels, took the audacious step of writing an open letter to DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, whose name will go down in infamy for tamely obeying Trump's orders. The 19 top HSI agents asked Kristen Nielsen to abolish ICE as a means of reforming their broken agency after her deportation forces ruined its public reputation beyond repair for a law enforcement office. Those courageous whistleblowers calling to abolish ICE, their own agency, know that separating Trump's deportation force from their genuine law enforcement operations will remove all sanction from the abusive methods used to separate families, remove peaceful residents of America with lingering paperwork problems, many of them Latino Trump supporters, and turn HSI into a standalone law enforcement agency. It's not just about image either. It's about money. Every dollar President Trump funnels into ERO's detentions comes out of HSI's critical national security investigations budget including $750 a night detention facilities for children separated from their families at the border. That is why ICE should be abolished and how Trump's political practices of child abuse and horror make America less safe again, make America more corrupt again, while simultaneously inflicting widespread, intentional, excruciating pain upon people fleeing a war zone for safety, many who have living relatives in America. This isn't right. This is not the America we believe in. Trump's America is not the place where 63 million people voted to live. I want to thank Ashton Taylor for having the guts to stand up and say what she's seen. The horrors, the travesty, it's disgusting. And I can't thank her enough for her patriotism and speaking out when we needed it the most. Thanks again to my producer, Grant Stern. You can visit our website at dworkinreport.com. Make sure to support our podcast. We are still independent, and we strive to be for as long as possible. Thanks again for listening. Onward! Onward!